hello and welcome along to another episode of turnstiles and tribulations uh, we've been going for quite a few weeks now and we really appreciate you guys and girls listening to us please do continue to tell your friends about it share it with other people you can find us on instagram at turnstiles underscore tribulations or on twitter at afc turn underscore trib or you can find us and like us on facebook by just searching turnstiles and tribulations so today we're going to be chatting the Arsenal taking on Fulham at home at the Emirates on Saturday afternoon. It was a 2-1 win, Chris. Talk to me about it. What were you thinking? Yeah, um, another win. 4-4. Four and four. The run continues. Fantastic results continue. Slightly more difficult this week. Um, but I think what we've had is our first tribulation of the season. Which is first tribulation. You know, that's what we wanted, right? We wanted um, some trials this season, and we've we've had our first one. Absolutely. Um, I thought that uh, throughout the game, really, there were quite a few different themes coming out. Things from Arsenal's past, things from Arsenal's current, and maybe glimpses of our future. Um, a bit of Christmas Carol there for you. <laughs> I was. <laughs> Well, I wasn't even thinking of that. I just come out. But yeah, Good time it of year was, for that, yeah. Yeah, yeah <laughs> starting now, mate. Countdown to Christmas is on. Um I mean, let let's just kind of dive right in, shall we? We uh we start the game. We're zipping the ball about, as we have been just recently. We're we're moving around quite nicely. Fulham weren't completely locked into parking the bus. They did have a little, a few players up by the halfway line for a, a few periods of time. Um, and the game just kind of started off quite nicely. I think uh, I think Martinelli straight away looked very lively. I thought he had a really good game across the board and he, he started off very lively. And I also thought that the balance of play was even, like down our right and our left this week. It wasn't like it has been the last couple of weeks with everything all down the left. And that may well be because we did have a couple of injuries. We did have changes for the first time this season to the starting 11 yeah. with Zinchenko and Partey being out, which I wasn't aware of until uh, kickoff time. I don't know if that had kind of broken Friday afternoon or not, or was that kind of sprung on everyone? I'd not heard it. I'd not heard it. There was a little bit of a rumour um, that Partey could be missing. Um, but... I wasn't expecting the Zinchenko one, but when I first heard it, I thought it might have been a bit of a a tactical change rather than an injury. I thought that maybe Arteta fancied Tierney up against Mitrovic to provide a little bit more security um, to deal with the aerial threat and the strength that he causes a little bit more than the uh, attacking stuff that Zinchenko gives us. Um, but yeah, it turned out to be niggling injuries. It doesn't seem like it's anything too long term, which is a, a good thing. Um, Zinchenko was there, obviously celebrating on the on the pitch when the goals went in, running up <laughs> and down the line see, with his knee brace on. <laughs> did you see the shot when Arteta's obviously celebrating the goal going in, and then this blur of black just sprints <laughs> from like behind the dugout off down? And I'm like, you're, you're going to be injured. Like, what's going on here? It's brilliant to see that. Yeah, to see that passion from him already. 
that tells you so much about what has been built so far, what is continue, continuing to be built upon by the team, by the fan base, by everything. It's, uh, it really is... That was that was so good to see. <laughs> so there was also another video of him. I know we're getting off off track a little bit, but there was a video of him uh, on the bench having a go at the fourth official. And, oh really? Uh, one of the coaching staff sort of trying to drag him back into the area. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. <laughs> I don't know whether it was one of the fouls or something. It was uh, quite late in the game because Odegaard had come off. Odegaard's in the in the video as well. But yeah, he's a uh, knee brace, black shirt. <laughs> In the, in the fourth official stage, pointing them <laughs> and remonstrating with him about that's something. brilliant. I I must admit because I was I was watching on my cell phone um, in reasonable reception, but on like the west coast of Vancouver Island on a beach in a hammock. Um, not a bad place to be watching the game, to be honest. But no, I, I didn't didn't see that. But that sounds brilliant. That that sounds exactly what I want from our team. But uh, yeah, let's uh, steer it back on track um, and, and back into the game. So in the first 10, 15 minutes, I felt, like I say, we were putting the ball around nicely. We were doing well and, and following on from the games that had gone before. But at the same time, I did feel Fulham were coping. I thought that they were managing us. Maybe managing us isn't the right phrase but they were coping with us enough um that we hadn't troubled leno up to that point and we hadn't really done too much we'd had a an opportunity for shaka who should have probably hit the target i think if he's going to be taking up this position i do want him to stay late after training and do some shooting drills because that is the kind of chance that needs to be on target we'd be giving martinelli pelters if he didn't get that on target so i think uh shaka needs to um Put a bit of extra in on that for me. Um, and then he'll have completely turned me around into a Xhaka lover. Yeah, if he turns as a, as a complete player. Yeah, it's interesting you said that Fulham um, were maybe not in control, but they were aware of what we were doing and they weren't too bothered maybe at the start because I felt like we were probing and we were looking for the right kind of passes and the right kind of penetration. It mm-hmm. felt like a team, I, the, the, the more I look at us, the more I see us as like a Swiss army knife. And we've got loads of different ways of attacking a situation, a flathead screwdriver, a yeah. toothpick, um, an Allen key. I don't know who's who. Do they have Allen keys on? On Swiss Army knives? I don't know. I ran out of things after the screwdriver, to be honest. <laughs> Te- technically, it would be a Norwegian Army knife, right? Yeah, actually, yeah. Um, but anyway, we've got all these different threats. And maybe there is an Allen key on a Norwegian Army knife. I'm sure there is. There's everything. So we've got all these different threats, and we have to find <laughs> the one that works for the situation. And it felt like it didn't feel like a team who were doing the, the horseshoe passing um, no. to try and find a way through it. It found like a team who were trying to go in one way, realising that the I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the same analogy, that maybe the door was still locked yep. um, on that side, moving into the middle, seeing whether the door was locked there, trying the little mm-hmm. flathead, trying the uh, crosshead. That wasn't working. <laughs> okay, we'll go on the other side, try the tweezers. You know? Tweet, oh, um, classic. Classic <laughs> move to switch to the tweezers. 
So it, it felt to me like we were in control. It felt like we were the ones who were on top. But that might be a little bit of bias and a little bit of positivity going into the game. Um, and then it was just a case of finding the solution to the to the problem that Fulham were posing because they were really well organised um, and they have been well organised the, the whole of their Premier League existence this season so far. Yeah. I was... So after this first 15, 20 minutes, a few things came to my mind. I was like, right, this is slightly different. Like you say, it wasn't a horseshoe, you know, passing back from one wing into the center and it going out to the other wing and coming up against nothing. We were looking for weaknesses. We were looking to see where we could get in, like you say, and pick that pass. We... Started really well, like I mentioned earlier, on on both sides. I thought Saka and Martinelli both had very good games. But the fullbacks were very happy and comfortable and well-versed in knowing that, especially Saka, is going to drive inside and try and shift it onto his left foot and take a shot. There was even, I think it was the first shot we had on target, that he shifted it brilliantly while he had the Fulham defender right in front of him. But Leno clearly knew what was going to happen because Leno was already going the right way because he was used to it, right? He's he's obviously come up against Saka doing that hundreds of times in training. I think a lot against a lot of teams that might have been a goal, but because Leno has that insider info of only just leaving the camp, he he went the right way. So I thought it was probably 50-50. I think we did look a little bit slow and I even thought, are we trying to overpass it? Are we doing a bit of the Arsenal of old and overpassing it? And some credit to Fulham's fullbacks. I thought that they stood up uh, and matched Martinelli and Saka pretty well. Um, Not well enough, thankfully, by the end of the game, but um, pretty well to give us a scare. Um, That's what I thought anyway. Um, It It wasn't an easy game overall for Saka. I thought he was um he, he showed all the right initiative to try and take people on. Um obviously got the assist that we will come to the goal, but um it it wasn't all success for him. It felt like a game where he was up against the he's like Anthony Robinson's a really quick player. So he didn't have the option of just beating him for pace. Yeah. Uh and he sticks to you well. Um he's one of those defenders who who really does get in tight and make it difficult. And it felt a lot like Saka was going backwards. I'd have to look into all the, the stats on that. But from, from watching the game, it felt like when he got the ball, he had to keep going back to Ben White a lot. Yeah. He wasn't able to to run at players as much and he had to he had to change his game. I think the second half maybe was slightly different for him, but it wasn't a game where he really stood out. Um as has been his season so far. He hasn't he's made some decent impacts in games but in general he hasn't had standout performances so far no um, not yet but I think I mentioned a few weeks ago last year if we were relying on him like we did for most of last year we would then be maybe closer to where we were in the table after four games last season than we are this season but because we've added a few really good players as well as a few extra outside things like a bit more ruthlessness as Ramsdale put it last week and there is more togetherness and unity than you know midway through or the later half of the season last year and because of what happened at the end of last season 
that the rest of the team rallies round and we're not relying on one outlet, thankfully. Um, I, I was thinking, even in the first half, why don't they switch? Why doesn't Martinelli and uh, Saka switch and just try it out for five, ten minutes, just see what happens? Because they're just reading it far too easily, especially for Saka. Martinelli was a bit more live wire, um, but uh, Saka certainly wasn't getting any joy driving inside and switching it onto his left. They were yeah. ready in pairs to block him at that point. And they did have a little he, change. They, sorry, they did have a little change about five, six minutes in. I don't know whether it was after a, um, a corner or the, whether there's some sort of transition factor, but it looked like they'd switched and they were like that for a, first, about a minute in the first half. Yeah, really early on. Oh, okay, um, and sad. then they switched back. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's something that I expected to see a little bit more. I thought those two might be a little bit more fluid and we might see them switching positions a little bit. We get it a little a little bit on the left because Martinelli will come into the centre forward role and Gabriel Jesus will switch to the left, but we haven't seen much of it from Saka. Um, no, no, yeah. I hope they that's did. something that starts to happen. They did uh, switch it for a reasonably sustained amount of time after about 65, 67 minutes. That might have been down to the fact we'd taken Tierney off and so we were using Saka kind of down the left in a slightly defensive role. Um, obviously, this was post-Eddie coming on. And again, we're jumping ahead a bit here, but they did they did switch around a bit later on. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a bit. Um, Martin Erdegaard, I thought, had a brilliant game. He is doing all of the things that I said he would do in the preview podcast. And he's doing all of the things that I said he would do and why I had him in my fantasy team. Um, and we'll come to it later on how I tried to chase quick, easy points and switch him for Martinelli two weeks ago, who now hasn't scored as many points as Erdegaard has. But when it comes, thankfully, to fantasy, and if I make a mess up on an Arsenal player taking them out, but they then go and do really good things and score lots of points, that means Arsenal are doing well, so I can live with it. But uh, he's playing really well. Dare I say, though, I thought Martinelli was man of the match. Really? Okay. Getting ahead of myself uh, again here. We haven't even started discussing goals, but maybe we'll come to that um, in a bit. The one threat I thought that um, Fulham had in the first half was, and we've seen it now in the Palace game, we saw it in the Bournemouth game, was a ball-playing centre-back, pinging the ball out to the wings. There was a couple of times one of the uh, Fulham players played the ball out wide to their number seven um, and and they had an opportunity to get us get at us that way. And yeah. that's that seems to be a bit of a theme is that maybe the Premier League teams are doing that as an outlet. It's, you know, like you mentioned, it's not quite the Sam Allardyce just hoof it up the field and try and win a second and third ball. It is a bit more crafted. Um, or is that something that oppositions are seeing as a weakness in our game? or a way to beat our press? Um, maybe it's a bit of both. Maybe it's a bit of both. Because I found, uh, obviously, Leno was kicking kick long quite a bit. They've they've got a big target man, right, in Mitrovic, who's, he, he's incredibly strong. And he does, I know he looks like a big guy, but he was really dominant in those 1v1s. Up against Saliba, there was a, a moment, I think, late in the game, where he sort of held off Saliba and then another 
I think Odegaard came in and it was sort of two on one and he held off him as well. And then there was another player who came in and we finally managed to get him down to the ground. But there's obviously teams who are using the long ball uh, or the long passes because they see that as a, a way to get past our press and they have the players to maybe get some success doing it, whether it's pace and tricky wingers and forwards getting in behind or whether it's a, a target man who can hold the ball up. We, I think we've dealt pretty well with it in general and I thought we did okay with it in this game. Um, I think it was, is it um, Toyasin who who played a lot of those passes, um, the long ones? And they've got Tim Ream as well who, who also played some, but I didn't feel like they had a great deal of success from it. Although they were playing them, well, like we we managed to win the aerial battle a lot, and um, we recovered the ball or the second ball most times. Especially from Leno kicks, that was something from his Arsenal career. You knew that we weren't going to be the one who got the second ball, so it was nice to be on the other end of it, knowing that every time he kicked, don't worry, the ball's about to come to us. And funny, you mentioned as well about Mitrovic as well being target man, getting about a bit. For someone who is a big person and did like to throw his weight around, he didn't have to spend a lot of time lying on the floor and whinging to the ref that uh, you know he should be getting fouls all the time and then going and dishing it out and then being upset if he was called on it. So um, he obviously would have been very pleased to then go and do what he did early on in the second half when an innocuous ball over. I think it was Saka plays the ball over to uh, Gabriel, who has a really poor first touch, follows it up with a very suspect second touch. And by then, Mitrovic is on him and uh, fighting with him and tussling for the ball, wins it and gets a quick fire shot off past Ramsdale. And it's 1-0 to Fulham, generally against the run of play. They, they hadn't really done enough to warrant that lead, but they got it because of an Arsenal mistake. Um, I personally was apoplectic in my uh, lovely, serene beachside hammocking was ruined in that moment. <laughs> Not Gabrielle's finest moment. I think there's a few mistakes in that in that goal that we should have a look at, really. The, the first, I mean, the, the major one is Gabriel, right? His, we know that his, his touch is not incredible. Um, it, you know, his strength is, is dominating in 1v1 battles and... Um, using his, his strengths and his his physicality, although he did get pushed off the ball by Mitrovic for that for that goal a little mm-hmm. bit, but his his touch can be suspect at times. And when that ball comes across, that first touch takes him inside towards the pressure. His second touch also does that, um, and he, he gets his feet a little bit mixed up, and then he's slow to move the ball out. I think there's some other issues with that goal in. Saka's decision to play that ball across for me is the wrong pass choice. Uh, when he does decide to play it, it's then quite a looped ball and it gives Mitrovic, who's not quick, he's not going to um, press and run you down, it gives him time to cover some distance while the ball's sort of looping in the air. So it's, it's, a, it's a wrong pass selection and execution for me from Saka. Um, yeah. And then the moment that that ball is played, nobody is in position, nobody's ready, nobody's expecting that ball to be played where it is. So Martinelli's not made a run to the left to give Gabriel an option. Um, Xhaka and uh, Elneny are also quite flat-footed, as is Tierney, who's basically playing some centre midfield role that he's 
he's um, unaware of for a lot of the time, and they're not they're not in position to receive the ball. So that's why Gabriel hesitates for a second as he looks up. Nobody's where they should be to make it, make that pass. Nobody's in the positions that Arteta needs them to be to to get the ball out in the build up, and he hesitates for for too long, and and the ball's taken from him. Uh, but it you know it's it's a weird pass choice from Saka for me that starts the problem off. You you can't you can't uh, give Gabriel too much. Uh, you know, you've got to go in on him a little bit because his, his touch should be better, but it comes from a bad pass choice for me. And it's frustrating as well because just before that, we'd had so many good chances. We Fulham were coming out a little bit and playing at us, which was giving us time and space to kind of really push forward faster, unpick that lock with that Norwegian army knife that you're on about. By then, they were probably using the tennis racket. Uh, attachment to, <laughs> to to get in round the back and it was just completely against the run of play and a bit of a sucker punch and yeah that was that was a bit of a blow and at that point I was thinking right here here we go like you mentioned earlier this, this is a first tribulation now how do we react how do we move on from here are we the Arsenal of old that horseshoe Arsenal playing in a U-shape, kicking it back and not finding the right pass to unlock a defence and not putting in enough effort to to win the game or do we see something different? And luckily it was column B, which I'm pretty glad about, especially as here's a stat for you. I don't know if you, you knew. The last seven games at the Emirates, we've not kept a clean sheet. Right, well, that's surprising. And I, I must admit, uh, after hearing that, which I think was after the goal had, had happened, um, I was just like, oh, could we concede a second? But thankfully, um, the boys rallied round around uh, Gabriel after that mistake, and the team rallied as well. And Arteta was quick to make a change which I thought was really good we've talked for the last couple of weeks about the late substitutions but just before 60 minutes Eddie Enketia comes on for Tierney which may even been a bit of a blessing in disguise maybe Tierney was only scheduled for that amount of minutes anyway coming back from injury but uh, Eddie comes on and I thought just on a note for him that he he came on with a spring in his step. He was certainly invigorated and ready to get stuck in. And I think that was just perfect timing. We weren't heads down or anything like that, but just that little bit extra, even if it was just 5% more, come on boys, let's get into them, really helped. And Eddie was making intelligent runs throughout his time on the pitch and uh, really getting in there and had a few opportunities to score. Um, But it wasn't him. It was Captain Fantastic, with his third goal in two games, Martin Erdegaard, after what looks like quite a simple build-up. The Saliba has the ball just inside our half, plays a, a direct ball into Saka, who is in front of him, but, you know, 40 yards or so. And then Saka is able to shift the ball inside to Erdegaard, who takes his shot, takes a deflection, yeah, and that probably does really screw Leno over. But I'll take the luck. And it's 1-1. And all is well back in Hammock world. Yeah. I mean, there's uh, a few things there. The, the Saka, where Saka picks the ball up and then drives with it 
is the sort of position we want to get him in. That's that's where he was slightly more in interior, um, in that sort of half space running at people rather than getting it wide on the touchline and cutting back. There's a position that you can get the ball and, and run at the goal. And um, exactly what I was saying last week about being comfortable at taking the ball into traffic. He runs into an area where there's sort of three Fulham defenders and commits people and then he's able to release it. Um, and then the other thing that we said was, um, you know, Odegaard getting some more shots away uh, yeah. and being a little bit braver. And we've seen that in the last couple of games. I mean, he took a shot early on that was uh, saved by Leno that was a really good strike. Yeah. Um, in, in a very similar position, right? Cutting in from the right, getting a shot away. And when you've got a team who are really well organised, if you can commit one or two of them out of position, that's when you know you, you can get space to take a shot, and there's going to be legs dangling, and uh, you can get deflections, and, and goals can go in from that. Uh, and it's a lot better than trying to force continually a little slide pass into a really congested area of defenders in the box. So it's a good decision to get a shot away. And I'm I'm glad that he's getting some goals from that and that all boost his confidence. And I think he'll con- he'll continue to do that as he as he goes through games and get some shots away. Um I, I thought you mentioned him a little bit at the start. I thought he orchestrated the game at a level that we haven't seen him or we haven't seen him um enough of, which is just running everything. I felt like he, it was just all over the pitch. He wanted the ball all the time and he was trying so many different ways. You know, if if we were a Swiss Army knife, then he was a Swiss Army knife attachment on our Norwegian Army knife or whatever. Um, and as you were going with now, we've lost a little bit there, haven't we? But um, yeah. anyway, he was trying so many different ways, balls over the top, little slide balls, getting shots away. Um and just dominating the game for me. Mm-hmm. He was my man of the match um, just for the impact that he had. And not everything worked, but he has so many different ways to get the ball into dangerous areas that he just becomes almost unstoppable because you don't know what he's going to do and you don't know what um, he's seeing. Uh the only similar player I can remember us having in recent times is is Ozil. And I remember Ozil playing passes to players who wouldn't be on the screen when you were watching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was, was it the goal? I can't remember what goal it was, but he played a ball that was over the top, a little bit like uh, Odegaard did, did for Gabriel Jesus in this game, that was for a Nacho Monreal run. I don't know whether Monreal scored or cut the ball back, but he came from off screen. Yeah, Monreal wasn't even in the picture at the time. Yeah, and came bursting down the left. And it was like, where's he putting this ball? Yeah. Um, and it, it's very similar with Odegaard. Like, he, he makes passes that you haven't quite seen, but he has. And mm-hmm. that's a talent that's so unique and so rare. Uh, but I just thought he was incredible for the game. For me, he was he was the man of the match, and he's, he's deserving the rewards and the goals that he's getting from the the play that he's had. The thing that Erdegaard as well and Martinelli, and which is why I picked out Martinelli maybe as my man of the match, both of these guys especially were anticipating 
the opposition play so well in in what is their defensive third and our final third attacking and we're winning the ball back off of them in those areas but we're winning it cleanly we're nicking it off of their toes as we do it so it's not the um say man city who use systematic fouling to maybe break up um when the opposition have the ball so that they can get back and reset we're bit more dare i say it barcelona of eight ten years ago where they win it off of them right up there at the end of the pitch and gabby was doing it uh, and erdegaard both of them a few times winning the ball back and this is how martinelli um set up his own goal in the leicester game it's how um there was one as well in the bournemouth and now i'm, I'm struggling to remember it must have been in the second Erdegaard goal maybe but we're just anticipating we're calm we're composed uh, and we're really reading the game well which uh, is brilliant so yeah it's uh, it's interesting that we split our man of the match don't get me wrong I agree with absolutely everything you said about Erdegaard but I just thought uh, even higher work rate for Martinelli is what aged it for me shortly after it was 1-1 though Fulham did have an opportunity. They did get a header away. I think it was Mitrovic had managed to shrug off Jesus and Ramsdale made a cracking save. Uh, and then Ben White slid in to block the follow-up as well. And that that was a huge moment, I think, in the game. If we go 2-1 there, do we have the belief to come back from that? I don't know. Thankfully, we don't have to find out. But uh, huge credit to Ramsdale for that save. That was top draw. Yeah, another fantastic save. I think last week we didn't mention too much that he made um, a really good save in that as well. But it was uh, almost point blank, wasn't it? It was so close. Mm -hmm. uh, It's hard to get your reactions right in that one and to push it to safety as well. He he really did um, use his wrist and knock the ball into uh, an area that was a little bit away and gave us a little bit of time to to dive in and get the block for the second one. But it felt like Fulham were a little bit dangerous from those set pieces. They've got some height in that team. Um, they did cause us a few problems from from crosses. And they didn't sit back at 1-1. They didn't try and just hold on to that. They did. They weren't fully throwing people forward, but they were being a bit more even with attacking and defending. And I think that actually is probably what led maybe to their downfall because after that, it just felt like wave after wave after wave of Arsenal attack to which the point, by that point, they did sit right back and we were able to then get the um, the the corner that led to ultimately our winner. I mean, maybe you want to talk us through what you, what you thought of that one. Yeah, I mean, what, what did you think about the... The corners that have been taken because on the on the commentary, not good. They were Kane and Martinelli for his delivery. Um, obviously, the the last few games we've seen him hit these really low, flat corners to the near post. We've we've got a goal in it um, against Leicester, where Vardy flicked one on, uh, and we've been dangerous from set pieces. And it felt to me, and maybe this is a bit revisionist now, but it felt to me that it was a decision to take the corners in a different manner. It felt like he was trying to uh, put some more height on it and to loop it into the back post because it wasn't one corner that was overhit or that was taken in a in that fashion. It felt mm-hmm. like it was every single one. 
Uh, and it felt like that was the idea. It, you know, we know Leno well, and we know that he's probably not the best at dominating his box and he can get crowded out. And we've seen teams for years um, crowd us out with with corners, with set pieces and with long throws and get around Leno and make it hard for him to jump, um, make sure there's contact around him because he's not a goalkeeper who likes that environment. Um, no, he's a he's a shot stopper. Um, exactly. Not a, not a commanding penalty area keeper. So, so I don't know whether that was a decision by um, Nicholas Yova, who we mention every week um, for his set piece <laughs> uh, mastery. Uh, I don't know whether that's a decision there from the from the analysts and from the the coaching team to put the ball in an area that makes it hard for him to jump, crowd him, and loop it rather than hit a near post. Uh, and if it if it is, and you know, we'll never know. Then that's a great decision in the end. The first corner that we had that Martinez took was played short. Jesus started in the middle, and then he makes a break to run and meet Martinelli and, and have it played short. He then lays it off for Martinelli, who's trying to run in from the corner of the box after taking the corner, and it didn't come off. But uh, that was the first one. And then after that, I'm not sure if it was the second or third one that Martinelli hit the bar, nearly swung it in flush. Yeah. And that, you know, we wouldn't have been joking about that one. That would have been absolutely fantastic. But the others after that, I did think we weren't hitting these corners very well. And like you mentioned, all we need to do is drop it into the middle of the six-yard box, just put it into the mixer. And the way that Fulham are defending really narrow and compact off these corners and just trying to flood the box with players. And then with our guys in there too, anything can happen. And that is what happened. Um, Leno came to punch, Saliba came to attack and Leno missed it. It ricochets off Saliba, I think back of his head, but drops down. He kind of deadens it. It doesn't just ping off him flying and it drops down to Gabriel, who was also attacking that same ball at the same time. And he can atone for his first, first error um, earlier on for the first goal. And I did say to myself, can Gabriel get up there on a corner and fix the the hole that he's put us in? Will he do that? Will that be what I'm looking for to kind of push away some of these scars of watching us of old, even going back 10, 15 years where we can play games against uh, a Bolton or uh, a Stoke or something like that, and we dominate and dominate the game but the one mistake that we have and the one counterattack that they they have and they end up beating us 1-0 and we didn't have what was necessary to then come back at them, we didn't do it. But this game we did and I hope it's a building block or I hope it's turning of the page that that is what we're able to do now with all these different appendages on our Norwegian army knife. Appendages is a good word. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, 100%. Mate, I, I, I agree. And uh, like you say, getting that atonement immediately in a game sort of puts that to bed. I feel that mistake. Um, hopefully he learns from it and, and we don't get too many of those during the course of the season. But mm-hmm. um, like you say, I mean, we knew that this season, even though I was joking last week about going unbeaten and all that sort of stuff, you know that there's going to be some really difficult moments um, over the course of the season. And we've had our first one. 
um, through a mistake, you know, through our own doing. And we've managed to get ourselves as a team out of that situation and, and get the result. And it's not always going to be pretty this season when we when we win games, but the best teams are able to do that, um, come from behind. Uh, we saw it in one of the other games that we'll, we'll get to, I'm sure, um, this week. But if we've got that, that in us and we've had a chance to show that early in the season, all the better for it. Um, all the better for it. And The bit that you really tapped on there for me was the team. The fact we did it as a team in in all or nothing. I can't remember which game and which player even. Uh, it might even have been uh, Gabby in that one. But he's like, you know, Gabby, you've made the mistake. It's gone. It's forgotten. Now we try and help him fix this mistake. Wolves, right? Probably, maybe. The short part of the bad back pass for the Wolves, for the, uh, the Wolves goal. Yeah. And, and that has been the... So that is showing us that that is working, that the, the team buy into not digging each other out for making a mistake. Like Ramsdale didn't scream and shout at uh, Gabriel when he had fluffed it and, and Fulham took the lead. He gave him a little pat and said, like, come on, mate, let's go. And I did really like uh, something else, just a small thing I noticed when Erdegaard had scored, going back to him and his celebration. And when he ran over towards Gabby and he just kind of shoved him quite violently in the back of the head as in like, right, now I've helped you out. Don't do that again. <laughs> and uh, and they cracked on and then VAR did uh, have a little look and for me when they said we're trying to check for a handball I was like alright and bear in mind I was watching on a beach with spotty connection and my picture kind of looked like what the VAR was looking at for most of the game to be honest I didn't have the clearest of pictures Um and yeah. they were like, we're looking for a handball. I'm like, well, how are you even, I don't see any arms up whatsoever from that angle that you're looking at from behind the goal. And they kept playing it, kept playing it. I'm like, you're looking for an excuse to rule this out, aren't you? Um, and thankfully there wasn't one, but I was very much like any second now, Mike Dean is just going to make the call. Um, oh yeah, we'll just, we'll just not give that goal just because we don't feel like it. Like that Callum Chambers one, was it against Palace? A couple of seasons ago, we scored a perfectly legitimate winner and they ruled it out for a foul in the build-up. Sounds right, yeah. It was never a foul. Um, but thankfully not. Then it obviously led to that wonderful celebration, um, the Maradona-esque uh, shouting into the camera from Saliba, <laughs> the sprint up the touchline by Zinchenko and getting involved with the with the team and celebrating that one. And... Uh, and I mean, you and I both know it's. we never want to go 1-0 behind. But in a game like that where the person especially who has scored has been whinging and moaning all game long um, and then throwing his weight around at the same time, who then I'm sure would have savoured the fact that he put them 1-0 up to then go 2-1 up and be able to lord it over them, that was mighty fine and very tasty. And thank you very much, Fulham, for that. But... But they did give us one final scare. Yet again, Ramsdale had to pull out another top save to keep it at 2-1. And that one, for me, was a bit of a blur, but he did. He kept us in it yet again. And that's where everyone was really switched on towards the end. There was a, a free kick that they got 
um, towards the end of the game and Martinelli was the one standing in front of the ball making sure they didn't take it and he's screaming at Saka to come over to him because he knew that Saka you need to be on this side I need to do whatever the job is I've got to do in defending this kick so many times even these small details have been missed by Arsenal they will switch off and teams are then able to play a ball quicker or more direct or whatever it might be and it's just these tiny little things that demonstrate to me that the team are focused they're switched on they're thinking about how every action uh matters every action even when the ball's dead and what they're doing needs to be 100 percent because we are now operating the entire premier league there there aren't really i say this after a certain result on on the weekend there aren't really whipping boys in the Premier League, um, <laughs> but maybe there are some. Um, there, maybe there's a team emerging as, as some. There's one. But generally, any team can beat another team. That is possible. It really wouldn't surprise you if whenever Bournemouth play City, that they beat them next. You, you know, that can happen. So these tiny little margins can lead to goals like Gabriel messing up uh, and allowing Fulham to score. So... Just in general, I thought the fact that we were so switched on and it was just small things like that that I kind of pay attention to. Most people might not and people might think I'm silly for focusing on that. But I think it's things like that that really show me that we're learning, we're growing physically, mentally, and we're just looking really sharp. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Come on, you gunners. Yeah, long may it continue um, because we've got a, a busy schedule coming up. Um, I'm sure we'll come to this in the in the next part of the show. But we're going to have to play every few days here and there's going to be a little bit more rotation and the the legs are going to be a little bit tired in this period and we're going to have to play as a team. We're going to have to have that confidence and belief in each other and trust and take responsibility uh, and have, I'm sure, some more issues to overcome in some of the games coming up. Uh, and fingers crossed because it feels like a team who are connected. It feels like a team who are, are going to work for each other. And even if there are some problems and, and we go behind in games, it feels like a team who, who have the belief in each other to, to come back. And they're, they're certainly going to try at least. And that, that's been something that even that has maybe lacked on occasion. So, um, yeah, anything else that you wanted to add really to the, to the Fulham result? Not, not really. Um, I was going to just mention the fact that obviously we had those two changes to the, the starting lineup. We don't know how long they're going to be out for, um, and just sort of get your feeling on the performances. Obviously, Tierney played or tried to play a similar role to Zinchenko in that he he occupied the same parts of the pitch um, on occasions. He, he came in narrow sometimes and tried to be an option in the the midfield. Um, with varying degrees of success. It doesn't look like a role that's natural for him. Um, although he was occupying the space, it didn't look like he wanted to get on the ball necessarily. Um, he was a lot better when he was in his, his natural position going out wide. Uh, and then El Nenny, yeah. um, Steady Eddie, did his did his job well. Barely recognised he was on the pitch most of the time, um, but, but didn't really give the ball away. I think we uh, certainly lacked Partey's uh decisiveness and penetration when 
the ball gets rolled into him. He's able to shield it and turn the player, roll the player, whatever he might do. And he's pretty quick in laying a ball off into those half spaces like you were talking about where Saka was for when we did uh, get the first goal. And we missed that. Quite clearly, we missed that. But yeah, El Nenny on the ball was pretty sound. Xhaka, there, there was a point where Xhaka overlapped with Saka down the right. Um, and then he drifted into the into the box and the little balls that we were playing, he then ended up pinging it off. I think it might have been to Jesus, who by Jesus' standards, we've we've barely mentioned him considering the, the noise that he made in his first game at the Emirates. He was quiet, but he still, his uh, work rate, his effort, some of the skills that he put into keep the ball and maintain possession as well as, again, he was part of that anticipating press and winning the ball off the toes of uh, Fulham defenders. I think everyone did all right. I think uh, there's no one had a bad game. I, I think the standouts, as we've mentioned, I think definitely Erdegaard. Uh, and then I would say Martinelli. You struggle then to pick out someone else who really stood out. I'd probably say Ramsdale because of those two really top saves that if he doesn't make those, we're in, we're in a lot of bother. Um, and then everyone else was pretty solid. I thought Saliba was pretty solid again. Gabriel was good other than his mistake. Um, I thought Ben White had a, a solid game. I think, yeah, KT needs to have the freedom of the left wing and be able to whip balls in because Jesus can head the ball. He can win those headers. He can get in and amongst it. So maybe that's where we need to see him. Um but yeah, I guess we're a bit wedded to that idea of the the left back will fill in while Xhaka goes walk about. But like I say, Xhaka needs to uh, practice his shooting. Yeah, well then let's, uh, let's move us on then and talk about some of the other uh, matches over the weekend. Join us uh, momentarily as we come back and we discuss the rest of the weekend's play. To our second part of our show, we're going to discuss the rest of the action from this weekend's Premier League. What happened? Who did it? Who did it well? Who didn't do it so well? Um, I'm going to be upfront here. I've not seen a single clip or anything of any other game except ours. As like I say, I was on a, another weekend away out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, I'm going to be led by you a bit here. Obviously, I, I do know the results and I have seen what the table looks like, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe you can lead lead me here a bit, Chris. Yeah. Um, what what game do you want to start with? What's the um, interesting standout, anything? That- I mean, the, the standout result probably has to be uh, ooh, West Ham against Aston Villa, maybe? Is it? <laughs> uh- <laughs> You know, you said like you said last week about there not being whipping boys, and <laughs> Bournemouth are doing a good job of trying to show you there is. <laughs> because the cherries took a bit of a pasting, I think it's fair to say. It's been a difficult start for them, hasn't it? Because they played <clears throat> they played Man United. Sorry, they played Man City. They played us, um, and they played Liverpool. So they played the three best teams uh, in the league already. Yeah, um, it has been tough for them, but. To not have scored a goal and to to concede nine, um, 
questions have to be asked. I think any team that concedes nine, it looks like they've given up a little bit um, after those two tough losses. You know, a third team of quality coming in, it, it's hard to get up for it. And I guess once the first couple of goals go in, you think, okay, here we go again. Um, this is an, another big defeat coming for us. So something that Facebook kindly reminded me of, I don't know if you saw this, um, I think it was about 10 years ago, 10, 11 years, that you and I were stood at Old Trafford as we got pummeled 8-2. But I still look back on that game as one of the best games I've ever been to in terms of away (laughs) fan because the entirety of the second half, we were singing the one song and one song only. It wasn't tequila for Saliba it was uh it was we love you Arsenal we do because in that moment we as a fan base knew where we were how bad things were and all we could do at that moment with the goals pouring in was try and support the the players out there that would that was all we could do and we did it and I remember the Man United fans being so angry with us that we were laughing and joking when we came out of Old Trafford like, how can you be laughing and joking after a result like that and be like because what, what else can we do yeah um, so from what you saw what were the Bournemouth fans like did they turn on the players what were the players like did their heads drop were they still trying I mean at what point was it like 5-0 um, well, that should never be a phrase, should it? At what point was it five nil? <laughs> um, I think it was like it was it was five nil at half time, and then they conceded immediately from uh, in the second half. I think uh, off the top of my off head, off the kick off. Um, <laughs> well, no, like it was uh, a minute in. They they conceded another own goal. Oh, okay. But look, I, I think the idea that you get beaten so heavily you start to enjoy it is <laughs> is not one I want to experience again. Um, but I, I sort of see what you mean. At, at a point, it becomes a bit ridiculous. And for the fans who are up there at, in Liverpool, hopefully they had a couple of days there and had a couple of good nights out that, that made up for it. But their experience in the Premier League so far has been a tough one. Um, but I'm sure they didn't expect to get any points from those games and they'll try and put it behind them. Uh, I do like Scott Parker. I'm not um, I'm not anti-Scott Parker. Minus his wardrobe choices. It's very strange. That's something that is worth discussing because it looks like his um, cardigan doesn't fit his shoulders. It's a really weird fit, but it's it's not even it's not even that. I'm sure uh, Scott Parker is someone who likes to be quite on trend and someone. I mean, he's no Hector Bellerin, but he he tries. Now, there's probably some posh designer out there who's going to make these cardigans, and when it comes to stripes and doing them in a fashion that this person or persons has gone and done, there's a reason why no one else can do three stripes. It's been taken by a rather large sports kit manufacturer. So if you go with two stripes only or four stripes because you know you can't have three, it it just doesn't look right. It looks like you're wearing the Audi version <laughs> of an Adidas tracksuit. So I'm sure it's a very expensive cardigan. I think it is a really expensive uh, brand. But I reckon you could probably have picked it up in Audi for £20, maybe less. You know, 
fair play to him. Maybe he does need to ditch the cardigans. Maybe it's the cardigans that are just putting the boys off. <laughs> Possibly so. Possibly so. Um, but so Liverpool end up getting obviously their first win, um, dragging themselves up the table. Yeah, I think that puts them up to ninth. Is it? Yeah, ninth in the table. Could be wrong. Five points. Yep. Um, it's probably worth discussing Man United because last time we recorded, they'd played two and lost two, and they were about to play Liverpool. Um, they've now won two games on the bounce. Yeah, and I didn't see that performance. Not the result. I think, like I say, any result is possible, but I didn't see the performance in that Liverpool game. I didn't see the performance. I didn't see United doing what they did, and I also didn't quite see... Liverpool doing what they did, even though I did in the first episode. I want everyone to remember this. The first episode, I did predict that Liverpool would not get second this year, that based upon no fact, no reason, I just felt Liverpool weren't going to have a solid a year this year. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're we're taking people back to predictions, I also said Ten Hag would get a result. Um, I did say Salah would score a hat-trick against them, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think United have, have got the balance of their team a little bit better by dropping the problematic elements of their side, um, Benjamin Maguire, Ronaldo and Luke Shaw, and bringing in three players who can run and who have some um, fight about them at the moment is, is mm-hmm. a simple... You know, a simple um, change that they've made and it, it seems to be paying off with some results. Um, Man City came from 2-2 two, two down to win 4-2. Um, oh, okay. I didn't realise that they were behind. Okay. Yeah. That, um, what was going on there then? But Palace had a really good start and they dominated really. They A little bit like, who did Palace play the other day and played really well? They, they make a good start in games and, and put some teams under pressure and City couldn't handle them they played Villa the other week so who's that who's that Villa they played last week and they won 3-1 yeah City couldn't handle them and they couldn't get the ball into Haaland they couldn't they couldn't build up they just nothing nothing was really working for them um but you know as City do in the second half they came out all guns blazing and um, made a few changes, brought on Gundogan, who had a big effect on the game. And yeah, Haaland gets a hat-trick in the second half and, and blows Palace away in the end. It seemed, uh, just looking at the times for the score in there, a reasonably quick-fire hat-trick as well, what, 20 minutes? Um, yeah, so, yeah it looks it. like they really, really turned that one on their head. Yeah, it felt it. A shame that Vieira couldn't have done us another favour there, but still, it's... Uh, a shot across the city bow at least. Yeah. And then what other big results? So I guess Chelsea managing to get a win 2-1 with, with 10 men. Oh, okay. They were down to 10 men again. Yeah. Conor Gallagher got sent off um, for two really stupid yellow card offences. Um, were they yellows? Yeah, 100%. One was, a, I think the okay. first one was a, a drag back to try and stop a counter-attack. Um uh-huh. And then literally five minutes later, there's another counter and he he comes across and, and trips over whoever the attacker was. Um, I forget. But there was players covering. It was a really stupid decision to make. Um, and at that point, I thought, you know, Leicester have got a decent chance here of, of getting a result. Um, and Chelsea are going to have to make some changes. But Sterling 
got two goals for them, made made the difference in that game, and could have had a third. Um, so he, you know, he's he's coming good for for, for them. Took a bit longer than I thought because uh, going back to the fantasy picks at the beginning of the season, I thought Sterling would be their main goal outlet. Um, so uh, yeah, we'll maybe talk about that a bit later on. I think for me, honestly, the biggest result that stands out, and it is probably a crime that we haven't talked about them yet and that's Brighton beating Leeds 1-0 and where Brighton are in the table right now they're flying they're doing really really well and kudos to them I I think that quietly they have become a very good team they're fourth they're fourth yeah fourth in the fourth in the league mm. level with City the whole table it looks it looks a bit weird <laughs> It looks a bit weird. Um, it's it's nice seeing us on top. It's nice seeing all Ws. It's been a while. I uh, I said to Frankie earlier that uh, I wish that she'd been around back when we'd gone undefeated. I said, you're seeing how excited I am just at the fact we've got four wins at the moment. Just imagine what I was like when we went <laughs> undefeated. <laughs> Her response was, was I alive when that happened? And I was like, yes, yes, you were. Um, but uh, yeah, it w- it's, uh, I think, like I say, kudos to uh, to Brighton for being where they are. The Premier League table looks a very strange place at the moment, but I like it. As Arteta said, once we get to 10, once we get to 12 games, let's see how close it looks to what it looks like now. Let's see, do we end up with the you know in inverted commas usual suspects up towards the top or do brighton do leeds do newcastle uh stick around up in that top half do some of the other teams a bit lower down get a couple of results uh, and 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 jump up yeah fantastic there's a uh, one more result we should talk about before we do um fpl chat um and it wasn't in the premier league I want to take you all the way over to France, okay? Because there was a a bit of a an Arsenal old boys um, get together. Um, Pepe made his debut for Nice against Marseille, and uh, obviously Marseille have got Alexis Sanchez, um, who scored two. Have they? Have they? So I didn't know if they'd pulled that one off yet. I did see something about it, but I didn't know. Yeah, they they got him on a free transfer. They got Guendouzi, who got an assist. They've got Nuno Tavares, obviously on loan. He scored. Okay. Um, three and three for him so far. He's three and three. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got our mate uh, Sergio Kolasinac as well. So all four of them, well, all five of those players started in that game. Yeah. Seriously. Um, yeah, Marseille. Won. So the ex Arsenal are going to win uh, Liga. Yeah, um, and and Ramsey's okay. at Nice as well. So Ramsey's playing with Pepe. So yeah, a lot of a lot of Arsenal interest in that game. Hmm. Okay. Did Pepe get on the pitch or? Yeah, he played. He played the whole played the whole game. Um, I, I didn't see uh, all of it. I saw some highlights, but apparently he had a, a decent debut. Okay. Good luck to him, I say. I, I still really appreciated the performances he put in in the semi-final and the final of the FA Cup a couple of years ago. And I always wanted it to be better. And you and I were talking, you know, all throughout last year and sending voice notes. And when we were playing with Lacquer up front and not getting any goals and Eddie wasn't even getting a look in. And I said to you a few times, sod it, I would try it. Just throw him up down the middle. Like what, what, how bad could it be? 
and eventually we did switch to Eddie and Eddie did do really well after the first game. Um, you know, he then started scoring lots of goals. So I, I hope he does well. It was just a transfer that was a dubious one, I think is probably the best way to phrase it for for us. <laughs> People, people who, un- who people who know football and people who know Arsenal know that we spent a lot more money than we should have on that deal, and I don't know where all that money went. Well, that covers the uh, the weekend's action from the Premier League and a little bit of Liga. I mean, we're getting international here. I like it. Uh, do stick with us. We've got one more topic to cover. We're going to talk fantasy Premier League. I'm assuming you've looked at the league. I have this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> welcome back this is the final part of today's show we're going to talk the fantasy premier league turnstiles and tribulations league and see what's happening we've now got 11 players in the league so thank you very much to the nine other people that have joined the season that we're having so far we hope that you're enjoying seeing your team either rise up the table or maybe hopefully well, I don't say hopefully you're tumbling down unless you're Chris, of course, uh, as we have some skin in the game for this year. But um, yeah, Chris, let's talk about the table. Uh, during the week, you posted a very cheeky little Instagram story of uh, your team above mine. Where are we now? Yeah, like I said, I wanted to enjoy it while it lasted. <laughs> You've risen up the table, uh, as I'm sure you're aware, with the highest points total for anybody in our league this week, um, well above everybody else, uh, you're into second, just six points off the top. And uh, yeah, I fell fell miserably down. I'm pretty upset about that. I'm pretty upset because uh, Michael Hinton is uh, a fellow member of the Sussex Arsenal Supporters Club. So he's just joined our our league this, this week. So thanks for joining, Michael. Um, but you've nicked what would have been a glorious week of me going to the top of the table uh, and it's been snatched away from me by six points it's disgraceful yeah I mean I can't really look that far up <laughs> I had an awful week um, and it's, how far did you tumble? My own, my own doing really um, were we not we were sort of fifth and sixth weren't we or fourth and fifth and I'm now down in eighth, eighth yeah. position it all feels like years ago to me now I'm just all I've just got the sights set on the top now from here on in that's it it's still again it's still early on I mean even the the points gap between us is uh, is only what 32 points so uh, that could be made up with some wise captain picks um I think uh, another big mover this week is Jared um, of Vancouver Arsenal. So shout out to you, Jared. A strong week for you. Uh, Ryan Darville, you've had a good week as well with 72 points. Um, Gemma, down in 10th, has had a bit of a shocker with 35. I have a strong feeling that she maybe forgot to do her team before this week kicked off. Or actually, no, I'm looking at it. I don't think she did forget. She just kind of had a middling week. Happens to the best of us, Gemma. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and I, I did get some messages over the weekend uh, that, that came through here and there, again, with that patchy cell service, uh, where one of my friends was very upset, uh, Farn Merza down in ninth. Uh, he was very upset that I'd had a good week and he was right. He could see my grin all the way from hundreds and hundreds of miles away. 
that uh, I was very pleased with myself. Although I did well, I'm still not making the right captain pick at the moment. And that seems to be a bit of a theme across of all fantasy at the minute. There was, I think, 900-odd people that were smart enough, lucky enough to have captained... uh, No, not even. It was 397 people triple captained Roberto Firmino and uh, scored a whopping 66 points for that one. I mean, you wouldn't sniff at that, really, would you? The main captain picks were Salah, who I think for many is just a bread and butter captain pick. And I've talked about how many people own him. If he gets returns, you can't have afforded not to have picked him as captain, you know, because you're not guaranteed that De Bruyne or Jesus or Haaland or Sterling will have also returned on the same week. I mean, I think uh, I had Jesus as captain. Who did you have this week? I had Salah as captain because it's the right. obvious thing to do. You know, I knew that Liverpool were going to batter Bournemouth. I didn't know it'd be nine, but I knew they would batter them. And obviously, Salah will get points in that game. And the fact that he's not been involved in nine goals is, I mean, it's embarrassing on his part, really. I'm not embarrassed. I'm embarrassed for him. It is pretty startling. And he missed, you know, I know you didn't watch the game. He missed at least three half chances. One of them, he he sort of cleared off the line. It was almost that bad. Um, And he was laughing about it. I wasn't laughing because, you know, (laughs) do your job, mate. I mean, it's ridiculous. But I was sitting there watching. I wasn't watching that game, obviously. I was watching um, uh, Brighton you and mainly. Three point three million other people were tearing you. But like every goal that goes in, you get the alert. You're like, oh come on, Salah goal or assist? No, next one. No, next one. <laughs> Nine times I went through that. So it wasn't just that you picked the wrong captain, as as did I. I picked Jesus, who got even less. Um, but you also went for your wild card this week and you hit me with a with a stinging message saying, I'm not listening to you anymore. Uh, I'm breaking free and I'm doing what I want. And I advised against it. It was too late by then, but I advised against it. I said, wait until the European fixtures come in because teams are going to start rotating. You were like, no, off you went to the races. And did it work? Um, I believe in the team that I've ended up with. I, I sort of went half and half because I chose some players that I like. I put um, Aronson in the team um, from Leeds, but I also put Rodrigo in, who I'm not a huge fan of, but because he was scoring goals and obviously he's listed as a midfielder, but plays up front. It was worth the move for him. And uh, the other one was Edison. I put Edison in because... Uh, Allison's been having a bit of a tough time and Liverpool are <laughs> going to concede every week and then you know City are 2-0 down in whatever it was 20 minutes <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't hit anything um, this week really it's, it's been a bad a bad week for me I had to try so hard not to use my wild card this week because I wanted to as well especially after the Liverpool result. I've got Trent Alexander-Arnold, Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah in the team. And I I had to wrestle with myself so hard. I even, I nearly didn't make any transfers at all, but I did eventually. I was like, I, I do want to put Trippier in. 
when I use my wild card anyway. And I had the money and I got rid of Matty Cash from Villa, which was a smart move because they conceded the goal. He got a yellow card. So Trippier's two was better than that anyway. But I had to, the main thing for me was keeping the faith with the Liverpool players. And minus Salah, boy, oh boy, did I get returns with both Diaz and Arnold putting in what looked like stellar performances. Um, Gabriel scoring for us as well. Um, Reese James, I think he got an assist in the uh, in the Chelsea game to get me some points. And Haaland with his uh, hat trick. So, so far I have picked the worst player each week as my captain following them having a really good week the week before. So based on that logic, I need to pick Cancelo as my captain for next week because uh, he only scored one point with conceding two goals. Um, and we'll see what happens. I've got Sanchez in goal as well from Brighton because I wanted to recognize them in some way of how well they're doing. And they've got really good and favorable fixtures as well. That's the other key thing with them. They've got some really nice fixtures. They've got Fulham away next. They've got Leicester, who they're out of sorts. That's a weird one to see Leicester kind of struggling like they are. I'm not upset about it because Jamie Vardy plays for them, but uh, it's weird. Then they've got the the big test, Bournemouth away, and then uh, Crystal Palace at home, which is always a spicy one for, for Brighton. They've got a very nice run. I would, if you want to take my advice and be like Chris and score all of the fantasy points, then I would maybe invest in a Brighton player and probably a defender or goalkeeper. That your tip for the week? I, I think um... that's that's the tip for the week. Brighton, I think, are the the team with a really good run of fixtures, and they've got a very good chance of keeping a clean sheet. Yeah. It's just it's it's very difficult to predict, isn't it? My my thinking is over the the long haul, the players that I've got are going to do the job I need them to do. Um, mm-hmm. If I think about it week by week, you know, you can pick the wrong players. I mean, the Salah thing is is a perfect example. Like I expected Liverpool to score a lot of goals and have a bit of a. Uh, have sort of a backlash after their their poor start. Yeah. I fancied them to score loads and I thought Salah must be involved in some of them. He's already in my team. I'll make him captain. Um, I probably would have had Jesus as my second choice because I thought, you know, we're at home, he looks sharp. And then Haaland, who um, in City games hasn't had too much of a kick so far. And I thought against Palace, who if they, if they sit deep and play on the counter... It could be just a you know a one 0 or something for City. It made sense to me, and it still makes sense. Um, but you know, the FPL gods are are looking down <laughs> on me, and uh, they're cruel. Yeah, not not really providing me with what I need at the moment. But I'll get there. Do you know how well you would have done had you not wild carded? Do you know if you'd have had a better weekend? I, I don't know. Is the answer? I can't remember who who I took out. I took out Mares who. I don't think he had. I don't think he scored many points. Um, right. I don't think he was involved in the goals. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm I'm happy with the players that I have. We'll get my, the, okay. These players will get me there over the course of the season. Don't you worry about that. Okay. Well, we're still waiting to actually hear more from 
the listeners, you guys and girls that are tuning in, uh, Chris and I are having a little bit of a side bet. And whoever loses out of us, regardless of where we come in the table, if we're last and second to last, that's fine. But between us, who comes ahead of the other, the loser is going to have to do a forfeit. So do hit us up on our social media uh, and, and let us know. Just comment on the show post or, or whatever it might be. Send us a direct message and uh, maybe give us some ideas for what the um, what the forfeit could be for Chris when he loses um, later in the season. <laughs> yeah, cheers for that, mate. I'll just throw it out there. You, 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 well, you'll give up. I'm banking on you giving up. And also someone else who... It's been very mouthy throughout the uh, the start. We're only what, four weeks into the season. Uh, Drew Ventus, he's already shot his load on the triple captain and wildcard options. And he sends me a text message while I'm on my lovely weekend away and I haven't watched any football. And I immediately cancel it so I don't look at it because I don't want anything spoiled by uh, by anything he might say or mention. And... Yeah, he's already dropping like a stone down the league uh, to join you all the way down there. He's in, uh, whereas he's in fifth now. So, um, I mean, he is still a, a fair way ahead of you. And one of my other friends as well messaged me saying, oh, I should absolutely rip you for triple captaining uh, Jesus against us, against um, Fulham. And I was like, no, right, my, my co-host wouldn't be so silly because he's already said that he would triple captain Jesus when we play Tottenham and he's used his wild cards. So you must be confused. Uh, and he was, it was, uh, it was Shaz blues who, um, who triple captained Jesus. And do you know what? I wouldn't have done it myself, but I totally understand where that kind of a, uh, a move came from. You would think after what Jesus had done in the first game at the Emirates that, uh, you know, he might take Fulham to task. Um, it wasn't the case, but we dispatched them regardless. But yeah, the, the table is starting to take shape. There's still, you know, only, uh, what have we got? Brendan Haggy down in, in last place. He joined a week late, so he has got points to make up. So let's say the top 10, 218 to 266 the top could easily become the bottom and the bottom could easily become the top anytime soon in this league. So um, we'll see how it all shakes out. I'm feeling confident. Yeah, I'm, I'm not anymore. But um, we'll see what happens next week. Obviously, we've got midweek fixtures um, and there will be some rotation. So I think there'll be some, some sad faces when maybe captains don't play or some of your first team picks don't play and the bench might have a, an effect on things. Um, I've got Zinchenko in my team, so I'm going to wait for news to see if he's going to be fit enough. Um, but uh, fingers crossed, we'll, we'll, we'll drag ourselves back up this table. You see? will, you will, I'm sure you will. Judge um, me in May. Yeah, I mean that, this is it and we will, don't you worry. So uh, yeah, that kind of covers it. We'll uh, We'll wrap up there and we'll say once again, thank you so much everybody who is tuning in and listening, especially those that are listening again and again, going back and listening to previous shows. And to those of you who are just joining us uh, this late, late stage in the season, um, it is 100% not a coincidence Arsenal are unbeaten since Chris and I started this podcast. So if you want Arsenal to continue winning, then there's only one option. You continue to listen. 
And for all of you non-Arsenal fans that have been tuning in uh, as either a favour to Chris and I or just because you love us that much, do continue anyway, even though you support other teams, because we appreciate the fact that you're supporting us and that Arsenal are winning because we're doing this podcast. Unless you support Spurs. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, oh, it just made me think of so many different times. By the way, I know... I know we're, I know we're uh, in the outro of the film here, and we we've already covered the football. But um, I did watch their game yesterday, and they are a shower of shit. Like they they are so lucky in that game. Um, How their their tactic of just sitting back and um, playing on the counter will get shown up um, against some of the bigger teams. They'll get some results from it, but Forest. Um, all credit to Forest; they played really well. And they deserved more from that game. Okay, um, they were very unlucky with some of their chances, and um, yeah, Spurs were a little bit more efficient. But Harry Kane missed the penalty, so um, did he? Yeah, they will. They will drop like a flyer, and I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be a midweek London derby at the London Stadium, and West Ham getting their first win. I can see it. Is that for them this this week this Wednesday or Tuesday? Uh, yeah, I think it's Tuesday. When are the games? Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Tuesday Wednesday? Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. Well, we've got Aston Villa. Uh, we will likely do a show, but don't hold us to that just yet. We're trying to figure out our schedules and make sure that we could actually edit one together in that time. This will probably come out after we've played Aston Villa, the way that the editing is going, but we're working on that. We're, we're getting there. Um, but uh, yeah, like I say, as I was saying before, before we wandered off the, uh, the the pathway of succinct conversation and outro. Thanks again for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. We're really happy that you're, you're listening. Enjoy it. And please do tell your friends about it. Please do share it with other people. Share it from Spotify, from iTunes, whichever kind of podcast platform you're listening from because uh, that's the main thing. We just want to be part of what already is a huge and amazing Arsenal and football community and we just want to share that with as many people as possible. I'm I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of the recording the show and hearing people's feedback not so much from the editing but like I say we're working on that and I'm sure that Chris is uh, feeling the same way there. So Chris I'm going to let you see us out with a final thought. Go on. Jerry Springer style. A final thought. Um, look we're in a a tough time in the world these days and Arsenal has given us a lot of pleasure um, and long may it continue. What about that? Was that too deep? No, that was perfect. Um, I could have used a, that's what she said, but I missed the opportunity. Maybe if I do some creative editing, I can slip it in there. Oh, that's what she said. Come on, you gathers. <laughs>